The following podcast contains spoilers. Check the episode description to see the exact times of the segments that contain spoilers. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to a special Empire edition of the Vulture TV podcast. I'm Gazella Mami, Vulture's TV editor, and I'm here with our TV columnist, Margaret Lyons. Margaret, how's it going? Pretty good. I feel like the real lion's den, so take that, Empire. (laughs) We are down one today. Matt is at South by Southwest. So, Margaret, tell me, what was your favorite thing that happened on television this week? I had a couple. So on like the sort of highbrow mm-hmm. part of the matrix, I guess, I would say I think Daily Show has been on a real tear. I thought all their coverage of the Oklahoma racist fraternity stuff mm-hmm. was really aggressive and dead on and smart. And, you know, it's the Daily Show. Of course, you expect that. But I think now that Jon Stewart's leaving, there's sort of a... Like upping the game a bit. Yeah, I guess I th- like I wasn't sure if there was going to be maybe like a little bit of senioritis or sort of right. That's like, what, that's what I would expect. Like it continued to be really good, and then in particular, like really really strong on that stuff. And I was like, oh right, the Daily Show is going to go out strong, and that's a relief. I'll have to start watching again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then on the sort of lowbrow side yeah. of things, um, I'm obsessed with the MTV show Catfish, which is all bullshit. Like I know it's <laughs> fake. Um, but, like, wrestling's fake in the sense that it's planned out, but the moves are still real. There really are, right. you know, flipping and stuff. So Catfish is totally fake, but people are leading these, like, weird, fucked-up lives, I guess. <laughs> and on this week's episode, the Catfisher, Tamala, like, had been lying to this guy, Harold, for many years, I think. And they finally had their, like, face-to-face confrontation, and she wound up offering him oral sex, like which had been part of like a bet they had had when they were like fake in love on text messaging. And it was just so strange because usually the catfisher is like either really, really rude or really apologetic and humiliated. Um, and this time she was like, you're still my bae, right? And it's like, what? <laughs> Who are these people? And so um, Harold declined the, uh, they were calling it, I guess they had a bet about like one of them would owe the other one 20 minutes of oral sex. And it just was like, I, like, what is happening? And this is one of your favorite moments. Well, it's just, like, I like to be surprised. You know, like, that was really something I never expected to see on TV this week. It really captured my imagination of just, like, how are people living like this? Like, I, I don't know. That, yeah. one, that one really struck me. Awesome. So today we're doing a special Empire edition of the show, and we're looking both at the season as a whole and at last week's episode in the run-up to the upcoming two-hour finale. One of our listeners asked, Empire is obviously great, but lots of good shows don't strike a nerve. Why do you think Empire has broken out like it has? I think one thing is that it's a soap, and people like soaps. You know, I think we sort of underestimate the value of like the dazzle of a soap. And I think like it's fun and exciting to have, you know, someone's going to get shot and someone has a secret baby and these people are in love and you're like, oh, what you didn't know was this. And like, that's <laughs> cool. That's fun. Like I, I think maybe we like dismiss that, especially in an era of like prestige, broody dramas. We forget that TV can be really fun. And I think Empire sort of hits that really squarely on the head. What I want did you like that scene? Um, I thought it was, you know, 
like an exciting, really like peak moment. And I think one of the things that Empire does really well is it builds, builds, builds tension. And then the resolution to that tension is a twist. So, for example, on like a cop show, right? We have the heightening of we're investigating the crime. Oh, maybe it was even worse than we thought. Oh, we finally got the guy. The end, <laughs> right? And we heighten, heighten, heighten. And then once we get to the climax, the resolution is closing the loop. And I think on Empire and I think on most soaps, what happens is we heighten, we heighten, we heighten, we get to this climax and the resolution is actually just a transformation into a different idea, right? So we have this like tense scene and the transformation, instead of just being like, and it all worked out, it was like, and I'm Lola's dad, right? And suddenly so that's its, this new conflict. Yeah, that's its own story and its own spin. And now, even though that scene is over, the story has a new grounding and a, a further premise. And it kind of seemed to create an element of conflict between Lucius and Cookie. And we actually have a clip we want to play right now from this scene. You don't care about nothing but yourself. Everything you touch, you destroy. Look at what you did to my sons. I can do better, Cookie. And in the end, you're going to understand the choices I've made. I promise you, I can do better. I'm... You just don't want to die alone. What do you think of of Lucius at this point? Do you think he's kind of unredeemable as a character? One of the most jarring things to see is terrible parenting, right? And we've seen him be like a really bad dad. You know, in this episode especially we see with Andre, like, you know, no one's going to say mental illness. Like, oh, that's not very helpful. We've seen him be really homophobic and... At least to me, it reads as like Lucius sort of let his kids grow to resent Cookie for so long without sort of standing up for her, I think. And and so she's been gone for a long time, but he didn't sort of help his kids like cope with that and, right. and deal with that in any kind of healthy or straightforward way. So in terms of like redeeming, I'm not sure that like I care, right? Like I don't need a redemption story. Like I can, you know, go to church, I guess, <laughs> if that's what I was like really craving. Um, I do think, though, that what confuses me is like how often I'm supposed to believe what Lucius is saying because I think we've seen him be like a liar a lot and so like on the most recent episode when he was like oh, I'm Lola's father too I didn't believe him like I thought it was just like a moment it was of, it was a little unclear well, it just it was like was... oh like he has like he's a very skilled liar we know he's a strong manipulator we know he has like a lot of sort of emotional chess going on where he's convincing people of certain things and, and is very savvy at at all of those mechanics. So I thought this was just like right. another instance of well, him being like full of shit, but it's really helpful in the moment. Well, then, even then in that moment, it felt like he was only telling the truth because he thought he would end up being the hero. And I think he says like, hey, I basically saved everyone after that scene and everyone, I think Cookie was like, no, no, you didn't. <laughs> right, she was like, no, the guy who <laughs> yeah, shot, the guy the guy shot him. Um, yeah, I, so I think, I don't know if that's like a problem for me or maybe like a, not a problem, but like I think when I watched like this, like Terrence Howard, just like it's not clear to me if Lucius is lying or not. And maybe that's like a character choice of like it's not always clear to Lucius what the truth is. Like mm-hmm. I think he's sort of it might be one of those things where like if you tell yourself the lie enough, it becomes true to you. In terms of being like a bad guy, like every show needs a bad guy. <laughs> and he's kind of 
toed the line a bit, but I wonder if they w- they're starting to push him into full bad guy territory. Right, but I think we have such like a big um, vulnerability, right? Because we know he's dying of like a very um, devastating mm-hmm. degenerative disease, right? It's not just like, well, we're all dying from a disease called life, like, right? Like he's really dying and in like a really terrifying, awful capacity. Um, and so that's going to create an inherent vulnerability and compassion for him. Like you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy, even the person who abused your child, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't. I hope most of us wouldn't. Um, so I think we have this like I think they have a lot of leeway to make him extremely bad before you would ever lose all compassion for him. Right. At least for me. Like, I think, I mean, we've seen him be pretty bad, but I'm still like. have seen him kill a guy. <laughs> you know, I think there are, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, more disturbing to me was like being like a, maybe not a super supportive dad. Like, I think there are circumstances under which people kill one another and we don't <laughs> always assign that as like a moral like failure. Um, At least not in a soap. Not in a soap. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, but, I, you know. I think Empire has, like, I think one of the ways it's been so successful this season is sort of having this grounding in, like, sort of carving out these moments of, like, real sad honesty and then having all of these, like, big moments of other kinds of catastrophes and um, shocks and twists and then, you know, also, like, glitz and glam and, like, big parties and Mm -hmm. all of this fancy stuff because we have so much, like, actual sadness at the bottom of it. We're going to bring on Empire's showrunner, Eileen Shaken, to discuss the frenzy surrounding the show and how she balances Empire's soapier elements we were just discussing with more substantial stories about family and race, and to give us a sneak preview of this week's two-hour season finale. And with that, I'll hand it over to our TV reporter, Joe Adalian. So, Eileen, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And, um, you know, we're talking to you just before, a few days before the uh, big season one finale. And the last time I can remember a show exploding into the pop culture this quickly and with ratings growing so steadily, honestly, was ER. Um, How crazy has it been? I mean, have you been able to focus on that at all as you're also making a show? Um, It's been crazy. It's been thrilling, obviously. And... um, unexpected and gratifying. And I wouldn't say we've been able to focus on it, but I would be lying if I said we were unaware of it. Where were you in production? Because, you know, the show premiered early January. At that point, what point in the production schedule were you? How many episodes had you had in the can by that point? We, when the show premiered, we had shot, I believe, through episode 10. So really just the finale, which is episodes 11 and 12, because we're airing two episodes on Wednesday night, um, those were all we had left to shoot. So, all right, so the production wasn't impacted that much. But I was just wondering, was it in in doing that finale, did you suddenly sort of pause a beat and think, okay, or did it not really affect it? I'm just sorry, or or is the real effect going to come on season two, if any? I mean, it it didn't affect the stories we were telling or the plans we had because they were well in the works. I have to say that we wouldn't have changed anything. One of the favorite games for those of us in the media is trying to figure out why is Empire so huge? And there are a lot of different working theories. Some people point to the fact that it has a tremendous support from the African-American audience because of a cast that is mostly African-American. Other people say it's also just simply because it's fun television. Do you have any theories yourself as a a, a showrunner and, and writer for the show why you think people respond to it? My theory is that all of those things are true and all of those things factor into it. And when a show succeeds, 
any television show. I think it's true of movies too, but I think it's even more true on television somehow. It's there, there's just this fantastic alchemy that occurs. Everything starts with a script and a concept. It's got to be that good, and this one was. I mean, you know, my first contact with the show was reading the script and knowing that Lee Daniels and Danny Strong were doing this show, and already that made it an exciting proposition. But then it's not until it's cast, and especially on an ensemble show, there's just this this thing that happens when an ensemble gels, and it happened on Empire in such a big way. It's just, you know... Led by Terrence Howard and Taraji Henson, two extraordinary actors who are at the peak of their, you know, of, of their powers as actors, a cast coalesced around them and rose to, to the bar that they had set. And it just happened. It just, you, you could feel it from the very beginning, from the moment I saw how they actually put that script on film and the pilot that Lee Daniels shot, I knew that something really extraordinary <laughs> was happening with were you this show. The, you were involved in the pilot production, yes or no? Okay. I was not involved with the pilot. I came on after they made the pilot when they, and, and you know, this is something that happens in television a lot, when two feature filmmakers who haven't done television and, more importantly, who are going to be involved but also continue to do their other work, um, they need somebody who's going to deliver their vision day-to-day, episode-to-episode. And, and, that's and one of the I things that's on. interesting about the show, too, is, you know, we've, Lee has uh, said publicly in, in interviews, and anyone who's watched the show can tell that this is true, that uh, he, he, he said he wanted to make a black dynasty and that he was inspired by dynasty. And the show does definitely have those elements, but it also sort of, it updates it 30 years later. You know, television is different than it was in the 80s when we only had four or five networks and a smattering of cable channels. People have high demands and, and they want a lot more from their TV than just simply catfights. And it does seem like with Dynasty, excuse me, with Empire, um, you're sort of blending a little bit there. I think you're exactly right. I think that you really kind of articulated the the, the mission and, and also the magic of the show. Um, I love that Lee embraced this idea of doing a Black Dynasty, but I said to him, I think in our first meeting, you're, you're, being, you're being modest and you're underestimating what you've done. Um, I, I actually learned television yes. at the feet of Aaron Spelling. It was my first job in television. And I'm, you know, I, I kind of love those shows, and I watched them um, avidly in whenever they were on. I <laughs> pretend that I don't remember when that was. But um, Empire does all that. It has all those moves. It's grand and glamorous and fabulous in all the same ways, but it's really authentic. It's about something, and it tells... Um, a, a much more authentic story than those shows ever did. It's not a confection. And I think one of the secrets of that is that the, the, the splendor of it is realistic. It tells the stories of people who really do live that large and who yet came from yeah. nothing. Let's talk about one of the main reasons the show works, too, is because you've got this weird love story, a very perverted love story at the center between the, the, the Lions. And, and Cookie, in particular, is one of the great television creations of our age. What is your take on that relationship or whatever it is right now? I think that it was... There on the page, but 
it's really the chemistry between Terrence Howard and Taraji Henson that made it come to life and made us understand as writers and filmmakers how valuable it was to mine. It's just every time they're on screen together, whether they're loving one another and hating one another, it's magical. And no matter how treacherous they are, how profound the betrayal, you still want to see them together and you still kind of want them to be together. Could you describe, in a word, each of the three sons of the show? Oh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try it, and and I'm gonna regret having having failed so miserably afterwards. Um, Andre, driven, damaged, and intellectually superior. Jamal, incredibly gifted, oppressed and unrealized and hakim is is the spoiled um bad young king you know we we talked about all of the kind of archetypes for that character but he's overly entitled and inexperienced and and just untested so uh, another reason that the show has stood out is because um, you of the coming art storyline you've tackled uh, so delicately and so well and powerfully through music. Um, you know, uh, and you're obviously you're the creator of the L Word. Uh, you have experience doing this. What has that been like in dealing with on the broadcast level? I'm encouraged by the way that TV has changed. Just but it's, it's changed as the culture has changed. I think you know a lot of times we expect entertainment to lead the culture, but I almost feel like TV has followed the culture in this case. The change is happening and we're reflecting it. We're still telling a story um, about homophobia in the black community that is an incredibly relevant and tender story, tender and painful. Um, I'm sure you know that that story and the way in which it was tackled in Empire is really personal to Lee Daniels. And that the incident that's most talked about from the pilot in which Lucius throws Jamal in the trash can is something that actually happened to Lee as a child. That, as a place to start, really frames the, the conversation about homophobia and parental love and rejection. Right. Um, season one, in some ways, right, was you, you operated in a bubble. Now the show has been expanded. I'm wondering, as you think ahead to season two, what are the challenges you think of season two? It keeps me up at night. Um, I think about it regularly and nonstop, whether I want to or not. Um, the biggest challenge is, and I'm, this is a, a glib answer, and it's really the only answer I have, um, season two has to continue what what the show is in season one. It has to be consistent with the stories we've been telling and the world that's been created, and yet everything has to change, and we have to be better. And I would have to imagine uh, that from probably January 8th, the day after the show premiered, your phone and, and Lee and Danny's phones and everyone at Fox's phone has been ringing from agents saying, I want to get X in Empire. And because it's a musical show, I want to also be surprised if some pretty prominent artists, you've already had plenty of good ones coming up, uh, Mary J. Blige and, 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 uh, and et cetera. Um, is it been incredible, uh, the, the response? It's been really fun to hear about the the people who are now calling and saying I'd be interested in being on the show, and it's a range of of um, artists from musical artists to actors to athletes 
to who knows. But um, we we definitely have opportunities to work with some very cool people. Do you also have to be careful in making sure that the show doesn't turn into the um, guest star of the week? Do you, are you going to have to yeah. keep that in mind? It never will. We're we're completely story driven, and. If someone is presented to us that everybody really wants on the show and we think it's an exciting opportunity, we'll try to craft a story that really makes sense in context of the show and our characters. But if we can't, we'll just go back and say, you know what, this isn't working. Let's, let's come back later when we can figure it out. Because right now we're telling this story and we believe that that's what the audience comes for. What they really care about, what we really care about is what's happening in these stories to these characters. One more question I want to ask for you. Set the scene for the finale. Tell tell us what we can expect for this two-hour extravaganza. Well, everything changes. <laughs> um, there are some huge betrayals. And um, at the end of our two hours, it's impossible to say what's going to happen in the lives of the Lion family. Um, but... One thing I will promise is that the gauntlet that was thrown down in the pilot has been met, and now it creates a whole new set of problems for everyone. A woman of mystery, Eileen Shaken. Um, thank you for joining us on the Vulture TV podcast. We're new, and we're excited to have someone so cool so early in our run. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Gazelle, back to you. The TV show is called Empire, which will air its two-hour season finale on Wednesday, March 18th, starting at 8 p.m. Let us know what you think about this. Tweet us at Vulture, visit our Facebook page, or email us at tvquestions at vulture.com. Did anyone email us this week, Gazelle? Do we have any questions? (laughs) We do have a question, (laughs) Margaret. Thank you for asking. We have a question this week from Malika. She says, I love the Mindy Project, but it often feels like an unadulterated experiment in wish fulfillment for Mindy Kaling. (laughs) While Mindy Lahiri's love life is obviously the driving force, sometimes the emphasis on it feels extreme to the detriment of exploring the rest of the cast dynamics. My question is, is a show built to satisfy the whims of a single creator a bad thing? So I don't think it's a bad thing, first of all, but I also kind of disagree with the premise that the show is like... Mindy Kaling's wish fulfillment. I mean, I think having a network show would be many of our wishes, right? So I think like her wish is fulfilled by that. Um, I don't think like, oh, I'm going to like have a show. Where I get to kiss boys. Like that's that seems like sort of an unfair assessment of what her wishes might be. I also think that when shows have a creator and a star whose voice is the driving premise of the show, of course, we're going to focus on them more. I also think when Mindy started we had a lot of other characters and we've actually churned through secondary and tertiary characters on that show pretty quickly. Like initially we saw more of her female, like her group of girlfriends. Morgan was not on the show. We had different administrative staff at the office. Like I think they've made a lot of attempts to sort of flesh out and figure out the secondary characters' storylines. And I just don't like any of them. Right. Well, <laughs> like, it's like in some ways it feels like the show doesn't pay enough attention to developing their storylines in ways that we will find compelling season after season. I mean, it doesn't do it for me, but I don't think it's a lack of attention. Like, I think they have storylines, and I just don't care about them that much. I also think that the sort of idea that Mindy Project is somehow more wish fulfillment is, like, a maybe a little bit sexist here. I think we have lots of shows with stars who are the creator and the driving voice of the show, and this isn't a criticism I've ever heard of Louie or 
Seinfeld or even like Everybody Loves Raymond or whatever. Louis is so much more focused on just him. And Seinfeld is just has such a strong cast. It feels like they do a great job of making each character's storyline compelling. Whereas the Mindy Project, it ends up feeling like it's the Mindy show. Isn't it supposed to be? I guess guess it's not called like a bunch of people I know. Like it's called the Mindy Project. It's her show. She's absolutely the creative driving force of it. Anytime you have the creator and the star of a show, the point of that show is to have their point of view come across. And the way that their character sees the world is the way the show sees the world. Well, thank you so much, Margaret. Anytime. (laughs) That's it for this week's Vulture TV podcast. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Vulture, and you can email us any questions or comments at tvquestions at vulture.com. Our producer is Henry Malofsky. Our senior producer is Laura Mayer. Our executive producer is Andy Bowers. I'm Gazelle Amami. I'm Margaret Lyons, and Matt Diller-Seitz will be back with us next week. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at itunes.com slash panoply. Mm-hmm.